The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution. Book 1, The Feast of Pikes, Chapter 10, Mankind. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Peter Dan. Book 1, Chapter 10, Mankind. Pardonable are human theatricalities. Nay, perhaps touching like the passionate utterance of a tongue which with sincerity stammers, of a head which with insincerity babbles, having gone distracted. Yet in comparison with unpremeditated outbursts of nature, such as an insurrection of women, how foisonless, unedifying, undelightful, like small ale palled, like an effervescence that has effervesced. Such scenes coming of forethought, were they world-great and never so cunningly devised, are at bottom mainly pasteboard and paint. But the others are original, omitted from the great ever-living heart of nature herself, what figures they will assume is unspeakably significant. To us, therefore, let the French National Solemn League and Federation be the highest recorded triumph of the thespian art, triumphant surely since the whole pit, which was of twenty-five millions, not only claps hands, but does itself spring on the boards and passionately set to playing there and being such, be it treated as such, with sincere cursory admiration, with wonder from afar. A whole nation gone mumming deserves so much, but deserves not the loving minuteness a menadic insurrection did. Much more let prior and, as it were, rehearsal scenes of federation come and go henceforward as they list, and on plains and under city walls innumerable regimental bands blare off into the inane without note from us. One scene, however, the hastiest reader will momentarily pause on, that of Anacarsis Clutes and the collective sinful posterity of Adam, for a patriot municipality has now, on the 4th of June, got its plan concocted and got it sanctioned by National Assembly. A patriot king assenting, to whom were he even free to dissent, federative harangues overflowing with loyalty have doubtless a transient sweetness. There shall come deputed National Guard, so many in the hundred, from each of the 83 departments of France, Likewise from all naval and military king's forces shall deputed quotas come. Such federation of national with royal soldiers has, taking place spontaneously, been already seen and sanctioned. For the rest, it is hoped as many as 40,000 may arrive, expenses to be borne by the deputing district, of all which let district and department take thought and elect fit men, whom the Paris brethren will fly to meet and welcome. Now, therefore, judge if our patriot artists are busy, taking deep counsel how to make the scene worthy of a look from the universe. As many as 15,000 men, spade men, barrow men, stone builders, rammers with their engineers, are at work on the Champ de Mars, hollowing it out into a natural amphitheatre fit for such solemnity. For one may hope it will be annual and perennial, a feast of pikes, fate to peak, notablest among the high tides of the year. In any case, ought not a scenic free nation to have some permanent national amphitheatre? The Champ de Mars is getting hollowed out, and the daily talk and the nightly dream in most Parisian heads is of federation, and that only federate deputies are already under way. 
National Assembly, what with its natural work, what with hearing and answering harangues of federates of this federation, will have enough to do. Harangue of American committee, among whom is that faint figure of Paul Jones, as with the stars dim twinkling through it, come to congratulate us on the prospect of such auspicious day. Harangue of Bastille, a conquerors, come to renounce any special recompense, any peculiar place at the solemnity, since the centre grenadiers rather grumble. Harangue of Tennis Court Club, who enter with far-gleaming brass plate aloft on a pole, and the Tennis Court Oath engraved thereon, which far-gleaming brass plate they purpose to affix solemnly in the Versailles original locality on the 20th of this month, which is the anniversary, as a deathless memorial for some years. They will then dine as they come back in the Bois de Boulogne. Cannot, however, do it without apprising the world. To such things does the august National Assembly ever and anon cheerfully listen, suspending its regenerative labours, and with some touch of impromptu eloquence make friendly reply, as indeed the want has long been. For it is a gesticulating, sympathetic people, and has a heart, and wears it on its sleeve. In which circumstances... It occurred to the mind of Anacarsis Clutes that while so much was embodying itself into club or committee and perorating applauded, there yet remained a greater and greatest, of which, if it also took body and perorated, what might not the effect be? Humankind, namely, le genre humain itself. In what rapt creative moment the thought rose in Anacarsis's soul, all his throes while he went about giving shape and birth to it, how he was sneered at by cold worldlings, but did sneer again, being a man of polished sarcasm, and moved to and fro persuasive in coffee-house and soiree, and dived down assiduous obscure in the great deep of Paris, making his thought a fact. Of all this the spiritual biographies of that period say nothing. Enough that on the 19th evening of June, 1790, the sun's slant rays lighted a spectacle such as our foolish little planet has not often had to show. Anacarsis Clutes, entering the august Salle de Manege, with the human species at his heels, Swedes, Spaniards, Polacks, Turks, Chaldeans, Greeks, dwellers in Mesopotamia, behold them all, they have come to claim place in the Grand Federation, having an undoubted interest in it. Our ambassador titles, said the fervid Clutes, are not written on parchment, but on the living hearts of all men. These whiskered Polacks, long-flowing turbaned Ishmaelites, astrological Chaldeans, who stand so mute here, let them plead with you, august senators, more eloquently than eloquence could. They are the mute representatives of their tongue-tied, befettered, heavy-laden nations, who from out of that dark bewilderment gaze wistful, amazed, with half-incredulous hopes towards you and this your bright light of a French federation, bright particular day-star, the herald of universal day. We claim to stand there as mute monuments, pathetically adumbrative as such. From bench and gallery comes repeated applause for what august senator but is flattered even by the very shadow of human species depending on him. From President C.A., who presides this remarkable fortnight in spite of his small voice, there comes eloquent though shrill reply. 
Anacarsis and the Foreigners Committee shall have place at the Federation on condition of telling their respective peoples what they see there. In the meantime, we invite them to the honours of the sitting, honneur de la séance. A long-flowing Turk for rejoinder bows with eastern solemnity and utters articulate sounds, but owing to his imperfect knowledge of the French dialect, his words are like spilt water. The thought he had in him remains conjectural to this day. Anacarsis and mankind accept the honours of the sitting, and have forthwith, as the old newspapers still testify, the satisfaction to see several things. First and chief, on the motion of Lameth, Lafayette, Saint-Fargo, and the other patriot nobles, let the others repugn as they will. All titles of nobility, from duke to esquire or lower, are henceforth abolished. Then, in like manner, livery servants, or rather, the livery of servants. Neither for the future shall any man or woman, self-styled noble, be incensed foolishly fumigated with incense in church, as the want has been. In a word, feudalism being dead these ten months, why should her empty trappings and scutcheon survive? The very coat of arms will require to be obliterated. And yet Cassandra Marat, on this and other coach panel, notices that they are but painted over and threatened to peer through again so that henceforth de Lafayette is but the Sieur Mottier, and Saint-Fargo is playing Michel Le Pelletier, and Mirabeau soon after has to say huffingly, With your Riquetti you have set Europe at cross-purposes for three days. For his counthood is not indifferent to this man, which indeed the admiring people treat him with to the last. But let extreme patriotism rejoice, and chiefly Anacarsis and mankind, for now it seems to be taken for granted that one Adam is father to us all. Such was, in historical accuracy, the famed feat of Anacarsis. Thus did the most extensive of public bodies find a sort of spokesman, whereby at least we may judge of one thing. What a humour the once sniffing, mocking city of Paris and Baron Clutes had got into! when such exhibition could appear a propriety next door to a sublimity. It is true envy did in after times pervert the success of Anacarsis, making him, from incidental Speaker of the Foreign Nations Committee, claim to be official permanent Speaker, Orator of the Human Species, which he only deserved to be, and alleging calumniously that his astrological Chaldeans and the rest were a mere French tag rag and bobtail disguised for the nonce, and in short sneering and fleering at him in her cold barren way, all which, however, he, the man he was, could receive on thick enough panoply, or even rebound therefrom, and also go his way. Most extensive of public bodies, we may call it, and also the most unexpected, for who could have thought to see all nations in the Tuileries riding hall? But so it is. And truly, as strange things may happen when a whole people goes mumming and miming. Hast not thou thyself perchance seen diademed Cleopatra, daughter of the Ptolemies, pleading almost with bended knee in unheroic tea-parlour or dim-lit retail shop to inflexible gross burgled dignitary for leave to reign and die, being dressed for it and moneyless with small children, while suddenly constables have shut the thespian barn and her Antony pleaded in vain? Such visual spectra flit across this earth if the thespian stage be rudely interfered with. 
but much more when, as was said, Pitt jumps on stage. Then is it verily, as in Herr Tick's drama, a Verkehrterwelt, or world topsy-turvied. Having seen the human species itself, to have seen the dean of the human species ceased now to be a miracle. Such doyen de genre humain, eldest of men, had shown himself there in these weeks. Jean-Claude Jacob, a born serf, deputed from his native Jura Mountains to thank the National Assembly for enfranchising them. On his bleached, worn face are ploughed the furrowings of one hundred and twenty years. He has heard dim patois talk of immortal grand monarch victories, of a burnt palatinate as he toiled and moiled to make a little speck of this earth greener, of Savennes dragoonings, of Marlborough going to the war, Four generations have bloomed out and loved and hated and rustled off. He was forty-six when Louis XIV died. The assembly, as one man, spontaneously rose and did reverence to the eldest of the world. Old Jean is to take séance among them, honourably with covered head. He gazes feebly there with his old eyes on that new wonder scene, dreamlike to him and uncertain, wavering amid fragments of old memories and dreams. For time is all growing unsubstantial, dreamlike. Jean's eyes and mind are weary and about to close and open on a far other world scene which shall be real. Patriot subscription, royal pension was got for him and he returned home glad. But in two months more he left it all and went on his unknown way. End of Book One, Chapter Ten.